Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome today to Ifi Ogboy, a nutritionist by profession and food blogger by passion, sharing a classic, I think we could even say the classic Nigerian dish, jollof rice. We called up way back in August to discuss, of course, jollof rice, but also maintaining relationships and roots in Nigeria as an immigrant to Canada, and Kura cloth and my concerns about appropriating it in food photos, and also food blogging from the perspective of a nutritionist. Before we start this interview, next week, I will be releasing the crowdsourced Thanksgiving episode, sharing over 25 vignettes, anecdotes, and memories from you, the listeners. I cannot wait to share this special episode. So please make sure you subscribe now and don't miss this one. Welcome to Efi. You know, I always try to do research. If it's a cookbook, I read it. If it's, you know, a blog, I try to read every, you know, a lot of posts. And in your case, I think, um, well, I think you mentioned you're an introverted person and maybe you don't naturally put a lot of personal information. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I don't. I'm just very, I guess, quiet. You know, I don't talk too much. I don't need to be, you know, center of attention by any means, but I mean, yeah. I'm happy to share every now and again. <laughs> yes, but you don't feel the need to put it out there. There's not this need to put all of your inner <laughs> no. life and history. <laughs> <laughs> no, not too much. <laughs> Let's just start then in the most logical place and tell me about, um, do you call it jollof rice? Jollof. Jollof. Yes. Okay, rice. First of all, Describe the dish and then tell me why you chose it. <laughs> so jollof rice, it's it's essentially, um, it's a staple in a Nigerian household. And it's a one pot dish made with rice and tomatoes and peppers and just all these spices that you make the rice in. Like mm-hmm. instead of making rice with just water, you add like the sauce that you cook the rice with. Mm-hmm. And I chose it simply because it is like it's just so common it's a staple and it's it's not too complicated to make but it takes some time to really hone in on you know the right sort of marriage between the ingredients to just get it right Mm. (laughs) so I was like yeah I'll give her this this recipe to try and see what happens yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you said the sauce um so when I think of a tomato sauce, of course, my initial thought is, you know, an American type spaghetti sauce. But here, when you start adding hot pepper, I mean, now we get dangerous. <laughs> yes. And so, you you know, you blend everything together. And the idea is to really reduce the tomato down. Like you get rid of as much sort of water content as you can to get it to be a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. And that is what really cooks and steams the jollof rice when you add the um, the rice into it. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. really like you're frying that tomato to really get it to be reduced. Mm, and to bring out a lot of flavor. A lot of flavor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't have to add too much pepper <laughs> because sometimes, you know, it tends to be some people like things spicy, but it, you know, it's really up to your, up to you and your preference and what you can handle. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I can tell you personally speaking, <laughs> I, to my shame, cannot handle. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I got, 
I got some scotch bonnets. For a shoot with a Trinidadian guest, she gave us a doubles recipe, which is to this day one of our family's favorites from the podcast. Couldn't actually even find them at my local grocery store. But I went to a Caribbean market Mm -hmm. to buy them. And I was actually nervous about cutting them because I know (laughs) how sensitive I am. So I got a pre-made sauce also. My husband loves the sauce. He puts it on his eggs. But I just have that very sensitive um, skin and palate, both. Mm -hmm. So one way to do when you're cutting the scotch bonnet, you can just use a fork to hold on to it. And then you cut it with your knife and just sort of scoop it into, you know, a blender or whatever, just so you're not using your hands or you can just wear gloves as well. Okay. And is it like other peppers in that the, the heat is concentrated in the seeds? In the seeds. Yeah. So you can remove the seeds as well if you want it to not to have too much heat. What do you do? I keep it all in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to, you know, spice and heat. So it's, it's not really a big thing for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then do you like it when it's still saucy, when there's enough sauce with the rice cooked in it that there's a little bit of a sauciness to it? Or do you like it where the rice has really kind of saturated with that sauce and there's not a lot left over? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I really like it when it's been married together nicely because I like my rice to be a little bit more grainy than mushy, like just a mm. tiny bit undercooked and kind of dry. Mm-hmm. So that is like the thing for me. <laughs> well, I agree. That's the way yeah. I like it. I do have to say, I find that I, I've made this a couple times and I do tend to make the mistake of making mine mushy <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure how to correct that, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a bit tricky. Like when I try to make it as well, it's just like that battle between (laughs) how do I make sure it's fully cooked, but like not too, not too dry and then not too wet. Like I don't want to put in any more water than it needs because it's just going to be too wet, you know? So it's all about patience. (laughs) Yes. And also I noticed that you put a towel over the pot and then a lid on top. So you really are not allowing any moisture to escape from that pot. You're kind of letting it steam in itself and just cook that way. That's how my mom taught me anyway. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about why you chose this. It's something we have very often, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not just an Nigerian thing too, though. It's pretty popular in the Western African countries as well. Like you have Ghanaian jollof rice, you have Senegal jollof rice as well. So Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that I just thought would be maybe a good addition to your, in your repertoire of recipes. Yes, I agree. It's, I mean, (laughs) there's nuances to it that are tricky, but -hmm. it's not tricky in the sense that there's, you know, intricate dumplings to fold or anything like that. So it's accessible and it's also universal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the Nigerian version is distinct in any way or superior? I mean, I know that (laughs) there can be battles over this. It's just this huge competition between who makes the best jello. (laughs) But I think the best one is whatever is made at your house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a very diplomatic response. But it is also very true. Yeah. So as long as we're on this topic, I actually had a guest and she wrote a book about cacao farming in the Ivory Coast and oh, a little girl okay. in New York and how she was connected to her grandfather, the cacao farmer. It was a 
visually stunning book and also very touching. And it was a food story. So anyhow, she was so kind as to come on. She gave me this, but she called it and imagine a correct French accent here. She (laughs) called it riz au gras, which is translated to fatty rice. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Do you know jollof rice? Does it translate to anything? Is it named after someone? Do you know what it means? Not to my knowledge. I think it might be related to, I was reading up on it and it was a jollof empire from what we know now is modern day Senegal. So that's where it sort of originated, but I I might be wrong. You know, I'm not a historian by any means, (laughs) but I think that's what it's referring to. And also the fact that it's a one pot dish. Mm. That's but all I've ever known it is just jollof rice. That's just yes. Okay. Now, if you can, what would you say are your earliest memories of making this? Wow, it's hard to put a date or like even an age mm-hmm. to it because the rice is just something that's mm-hmm. always sort of been around the home. Right. Yeah. And it, um, we also have and like we use plain rice as well, just plain white rice. And then we also have a stew to go with it. So the stew is similar to what you would make when you're making your jollof rice. So you just add that on top of your white rice. So rice is always something that's been there. And mm-hmm. mom would be the one making <laughs> all the meals. You would watch or help and she would ask you to do certain things. And that's how you sort of get introduced to how to make certain dishes at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did your mom ever ask you to cut the peppers? <laughs> No, not when we were younger. Would you, as a child, have been a little more sensitive to the pepper? No, because you know why? You're, let's say you're breastfed, right, by your mother. Yeah. And whatever she eats, you're kind of sort of learning how to adapt to yeah. that. Breast yeah. milk. So I think over time, it, my susceptibility was just, it was just a lot easier once I started eating solid food to be mm. introduced to spicy. That, you know what I mean? Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And just being around those flavors and those spices in the house when it's being cooked and you're smelling it and it's just like a part of you. Really. Mm-hmm. So, Actually, this idea of being exposed to scents and becoming desensitized, um, you know, acclimating to spicy foods that way, that's that's a new thought for me. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed that you on your blog when you when you do tend personal, it almost always relates to your mom. And also, I think you have a sister. I do have a sister. Yeah, I have uh-huh. a sister and a brother. I'm the youngest. So. And, and would she have been there making it with you? Yeah, we would all have been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your brother also? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's mostly, you know, women in the kitchen type yeah. thing. But my brother knows how to cook as well, too. Uh, even my dad knows how to cook. You know, when we go visit, we see my mom and I'll have some food to take home from her. And then my dad will have some food to give us as well. So we all know kind of how to make some of these dishes, not all of them, but yeah, yeah. we're all pretty exposed to the cooking process. Everyone just has their specialty. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And different people enjoy it more or less than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it's a preference, definitely. Mm-hmm. I guess I just took to it more, I'd say than the others, but they, I mean, they know how to cook for themselves. No problem. (laughs) So. And when you say home, you say back, you know, at home, home is in Canada or am I wrong? Was it in Nigeria? Um, A bit of both. I mean, I grew up in Canada. I was born in Nigeria and that we still have family back home. So when I say home, it's usually where I grew up, but 
home is wherever family is. <laughs> and do you feel like having grown up in Canada, you've been able to maintain a closeness with your family in Nigeria such that that's also another home? Yeah, of course. We tend to speak to them every now and again over the phone. Usually my mom, because it's my mom's side of the family. So she's always in contact and I'm always, you know, texting my aunt and things like that. (laughs) So yeah, we are still pretty close. We try to stay connected as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. You say, of course, like it's no big deal, but it is, it is a big deal just in the sense that we have only so much time. And I think it's, easy to stay connected with just the people that are close geographically. And then um, I think there's also an element, and this is a question, I think there's also an element that it's easiest to stay in touch with the people that we are most similar to, that our lives have the most touch points with. So do you find that because of, you know, how you were raised in Canada and how your family but, you know, their habits and patterns and routines and values and all of those things in Nigeria. Do you find that there's enough touch points there for it to be easy to stay in touch? Um, yeah, I see what you mean. I think for us, just because lifestyles will be different here than it is in, in Nigeria. So, I mean, it's not an everyday thing, but we do try to make it as often as we can just simply because that's your family. That's the only family you have, you know, especially for my mom and my parents, you tend to miss. There is definitely a need to connect and maintain that sense of belonging to your home. Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like staying in touch with them is like a way that you can stay close with your mom because you're bridging that gap between her, Mm -hmm. her old life and new life. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a very loving daughterly thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we try. <laughs> and have you gotten to visit Nigeria? Once. It was a few years ago now, but um, it was nice to see people that you sort of grew up with. Mm-hmm. People that you're like, wow, <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is who you are and this is who I am. And it's just nice to have that sort of connection and understanding. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to go back sooner than later, but um, we'll see. Yeah, I hope that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. And then when you've been, again, as we talk about touch points and differences and lifestyle, thank you for mm-hmm. using that word because that's what I was searching for and couldn't find. <laughs> that's okay. Did you find that food played a part in feeling that closeness to your family? Feel Did that feel different as well? No, it was the same. It's very communal, right? Everybody eats together. Everyone helps out in the cooking. So that was the same. And it was nice. Yeah, it was definitely a nice communal sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you find everyone wanted to cook for you? (laughs) Maybe. No, but you know, it's funny because you had like when they haven't seen you in so long, like, oh, I remember when you were such a little girl and da da da. And it's just like everyone wanted just a piece of you, you know, just to hold on to that memory, those memories and stuff. So it was nice. Mm. Um, I got taken around a lot through the city and, and all that and the village and all that. So that was nice to have. Um, so growing up back in Canada, do you remember any feelings of conflict between your Nigerian roots and, you know, a more predominant, I guess, cultural identity? Um, 
people have a lot of questions about like your hair, like when okay. you have yeah. different hairstyles and things yeah. and they're just like, oh, wow, your hair grew over the summer. It's like, no, I just have extensions and, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just great. It's all these <laughs> yeah. Or like the clothes with that. They usually like my mom gets a lot of questions about she dresses in Ankara quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So if she goes to like church or something and it's, <laughs> they have all these questions about, wow, you know, where did you get this fabric and all that stuff? So mm. Are the questions curious and open-hearted and embracing, or do they feel almost accusatory? You know what I'm saying? The difference between how questions can come across. Yeah, a little bit of both. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes people are just a little bit ignorant. For the most part, I think we've had some good experiences when it comes to things like that, but not all experiences have been good. I'll just say that. Yes. <laughs> but we'll f- focus on the good part. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. We'll do that then. <laughs> No, well, I, but I mean, yeah, that's just, that's just the experience you get when you live in a predominantly white, you know, small town and you're, you know, a minority, mm-hmm. we get all kinds of questions. <laughs> so, and you think it's intensified because you're not in a city like Montreal, for instance, which is very exactly. diverse. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. My mom chose it because she actually knew people who lived there at the time and she was going to work for them okay moved a little bit more southern um, Ontario okay Mm -hmm. is that where you are now no I'm in Toronto now okay yeah I moved there for school (laughs) okay oh and then stayed and then never left. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wanted to return to something that you talked about, which is your mom wearing the Ankara cloth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said that if at all possible, I should include that in the photos just to, I guess, give some context to the Jula phrase. Yeah. If you have any Ankara, that would be nice to see. Well, I was going to ask you about this because uh, I know it's like I know just enough to be dangerous. So I want you to educate me further. (laughs) I have a Ghanaian friend who gifted me with some cloth a couple years ago and well, several of my Ghanaian friends explained to me how significant cloth is in Ghanaian culture mm-hmm. and that you would definitely wear certain things, certain times, there's certain things you would never wear. Um, you know, some of the conversation about appropriation came up and how it can actually be very offensive when they mm-hmm. see people wearing the wrong thing at wrong time, just to try to make a statement, you know, yeah. here yeah. in the U S. So I'm very curious about a couple of things. Um, one is there a difference between Ghanaian cloth and Ankara cloth? So is Ankara cloth like specifically Nigerian? And two, tell me a little bit about the culture surrounding cloth. Yeah. And- so yeah, Ankara diff- is different from Kente, which is um, the mm. Ghanaian cloth that you're speaking about. I don't know too much about it because I mean, I'm not Ghanaian and I don't want to, you know, assume anything (laughs) but it is different you can definitely see the difference in the fabrics and stuff if you look it up um so Ankara it's also called um Dutch wax print and it's very specific to Nigeria and it's you know it's for usually it's for special occasions although nowadays you can have it made like you can just get a really nice blouse made with the fabric and there's so many different colors and they're really bold and vibrant and um the colors, they don't necessarily mean anything specific, but I'm sure 
you know, some people would think that gold would mean wealthy or green would mean, you know, life or prosperity and blue would be harmony. But when it comes to Ankara, there's so many different patterns. You can't, you can't really pinpoint mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just so different. And, um, it's very tribal, like the visuals, if you look it up, you'll mm-hmm. see why it's so, um, vibrant and why it's so um, important in, in African uh, culture. And so when you have Ankara, you can make outfits from them. And usually it's for special occasions, like I said, like weddings, you know, big birthday parties and things like that. It's, that's mm-hmm. when people usually wear it. But nowadays I've seen a lot more just relaxed type everyday sort of clothing that you can wear, like to work, a nice blouse that's made out of Ankara or a skirt that's made out of Ankara. And I've seen people even like this summer wearing Ankara shorts and things like that. And now, and also there's Ankara face masks. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so because it's a textile, you can make so many different things from it too, right? right? Sure. So, yeah, it's um, quite versatile. And you don't feel... Or do you feel that there's an issue of appropriation there where you'll see it used in a way that you find to be inappropriate? Yeah, sometimes you see it. But I think like for the example you gave me, somebody gave you some Ghanaian um, cloth. You said was a friend of yours, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you would, if you made some clothing out of it, you would wear it to something specific to the Ghanaian culture, like some sort of occasion, right? You wouldn't just put it on where it's like a regular day. Right type thing. It's not like that type of. It's not that type of attire. You would wear it to something specific, and you would have some sort of connection to the person who was Ghanaian, or somebody invited you, like you said, like your friend, or maybe you're married to somebody, or you know, something along those lines. It's not just there's some random thing that you're doing just to be seen or just mm-hmm. to look edgy in any <laughs> way. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Are there circumstances in which you wear the cloth? Yeah, if, I'm, if there's like an occasion, yeah, throwing a party, maybe I'll throw some anchor on, but it's very specific to those types of things. Yeah. But I think there's also, sometimes you can just wear it at home. My mom usually does that. She'll wear like a, what it's called a rapa. Mm-hmm. So you just put it on, like around your waist, you're wearing a shirt or a tank top and you just wrap it around your waist and it's just like anchor fabric and it's just mm-hmm. lightweight. It's just something you would wear at home. Mm-hmm. So there are different sort of versions. There's like the dress up right. <laughs> version, something you would wear at home with your family and things like that. It's actually, I was actually specifically gifted it for a wedding and they yeah, said, yeah. yeah, what will happen in their culture is that, and again, there may be a difference between Ghanaian and Nigerian, but you know, kind of like here, all the bridesmaids wear the same dress. Exactly. It's like they're every guest of yes. the one family wears the same cloth. It's the same. It's the same with um, Ankara too. Actually, we have another one called lace, which is like a lighter. It's exactly what it sounds like, lace fabric. Mm. So if let's say I'm part of a wedding party or we are connected to like the bride in a sense and everyone would have the same fabric and you would have to make um, something from that fabric. Mm-hmm. So everyone is wearing that same fabric, but in different styles, right? So you know who, you know, the bride is connected right. to or the groom or, or whatever the case may be. So right. it's it's very similar in that sense. Yeah. So, but if I took the dress that, you know, I wore to the wedding and I wore it on like 
a date night with my husband. Now, <laughs> that would not really be appropriate. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would be a little bit much. <laughs> Save it for those <laughs> special <laughs> I think it's a good thing to know because I think that, you know, unknowingly. They don't always know. <laughs> But um, yeah, once you know, you know, and then you do the right, right thing, the right time. Well, it does raise the question, though. So it's I wouldn't wear it on a date night with my husband, but <laughs> it is OK to use a fabric in the background of a photo like no one you would can, see that. Um, yeah, you can use Ankara in the background of a photo. Okay. Nigerian food. Yeah, Ankara for sure. Okay. That's fine. I've actually seen it used for um, decor, like home decor. I've seen it in like pillows. I have too. How do you feel right? about that? So yeah. It's it's changing a little bit in terms of its usage, but I mean, it's beautiful fabric. There's so many designs, it's, right? And yes. so many possibilities. Yes. And it's like um, gem colored, you know, like yeah, your emeralds yeah. and your rubies and very, your sapphire yeah. colors. Very bold, very bold colors. Yes. <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> I like to ask because, like I said, I don't know. So I just wanted to it's double good check. To ask. It's good to ask. You never know. <laughs> well, you, you don't. And because there are restrictions on wearing it, I felt a little uncomfortable about using it in photos, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. did you buy a um, specific one for, did you actually buy Ankara? Did you find Ankara or? No, I wanted to talk to you first. And, um, but I also okay. have, um, who gave this to me? Another friend, but also Ghanaian, who's actually my very first guest on the podcast. And she has given me some props that are by artisans there. Okay. So I was actually thinking about using them as well. Oh. So, so yeah, I just hadn't decided what to do, but <laughs> I did know that it's an issue. Well, it's an issue I definitely wanted to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, those woven baskets and stuff, those are pretty consistent in African culture. So yeah, that would be nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, let's move on to, so you are a nutritionist. Yes, I have a degree in food and nutrition and I've practiced nutrition for many years. So after high school, I, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And food and nutrition was something that I was interested in. And it was also one of the programs that I got accepted to. But I chose Toronto because of what we just spoke about, multiculturalism. And I want it to be a much bigger city. So it was a four-year program. And essentially, you find your own practical So after university, I worked on my own. I did one-on-one consultations with clients and typically for things like weight loss and and meal planning and things like Mm -hmm. that. Now I do mostly administrative and within the field as well. I still work as a diet technician in the hospital. I don't really see patients, um, but we do ensure that they receive the right meals based on their care plans. Most recently, I sort of shifted into doing recipe development for clients and brands and photography as well. So that's the journey and that's where I'm at now. (laughs) Yes, you've done, it seems like you've done just about every facet of the work. Maybe maybe not so much research would be the only one, but you've done one-on-one client care. You have advised institutions. Mm -hmm. You have worked on disseminating information by doing recipe development and now moving on also adding in the photography. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the food game. <laughs> <laughs> the food game. I, I have several follow-up questions. First of all, when we talk about your one-on-one work with people, 
I noticed on your site that you said your work as a nutritionist affected your photography because you've seen firsthand the emotional connection that people have to food, which that was really, I kind of sat and looked at my computer screen and thought about that for a minute because I think when we talk about I guess, okay, I guess when I think of a nutritionist, I think of someone who's coming in to correct mm-hmm. an unhealthy approach to food. And so when we talk about an emotional connection to food from a nutritionist standpoint, I always think of that automatically almost in terms of like an unhealthy emotional connection to food. But then on your website, you kind of spun that around and we're saying, I understand how emotionally connected people are to food. You know, I understand that jollof rice is a huge part of my connection <laughs> to my family and to Nigeria and all of this. And so yeah. I guess my question is our emotional connection to food. It's something we celebrate on the one hand, but then something we kind of go to a nutritionist to mm-hmm. fix sometimes on another hand. So what's the difference, I guess, even between a healthy and an unhealthy emotional connection to food? And how do we make sure we stay in that healthy camp. I think on the health, having a healthy emotional connection is your ability to use food for health reasons, your ability to use food to heal yourself in a positive way, right? And in terms of the negative aspects, sometimes people get caught up in trying to use food as a form of control because they lose control over other things in their lives. So I think it's important to identify why we eat the way we do, um, get to the root issues that we may have and what we're suffering from. So you would have to see a professional for that, whether it's a therapist or, you know, psychologist. And um, then you would see how you've been using food to sort of suppress or deal with those difficult traumas that you may have. And another way is to eat more intuitively, you know, eat when you're hungry, don't eat when you necessarily feel bad and you try to use food to sort of cope with that because that can lead to sort of overeating and that can lead to obviously other health issues. So I think it's important not to be too overly restrictive when when it comes to food, but find finding a balance in your eating is the best way to, you know, move towards a more sustainable lifestyle when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the the approach to food, like I'm going to say the Nigerian approach to food, but I only mean that in the context of, you know, the home, the home that you were raised in, right. you know, so that's, I, I understand that like your experience with Nigerian food is different than maybe someone who was born and raised in Nigeria. So with all that said, with that caveat, do you find that the Nigerian approach to food is one that is more generally emotionally healthy than a typical Western approach to food? (laughs) Um, And it's hard to compare the two. I think what's Mm -hmm. important is where the food comes from, like knowing where your food comes from. For example, if you live, let's say, in Nigeria, a lot of the things that's organic and homegrown type situation, right? And so, and farmed and all that stuff. So if you have a good sort of relationship with understanding where your food comes from, so either whether it's, you know, here in Canada or in Nigeria, I think that would be a great way to seeing it in a healthy perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, in terms of turning to food for, you know, an emotional hit, it's a little more difficult to do that if it's the food that you kind of raised and you understand and know the work that goes into okay. that. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to to let go of certain things or even finding a, a way to, I guess, cut back on certain food items. Like, 
if you have something that's carb heavy, like jollof rice, for example, you know, um, you would have to sort of figure out a way to <laughs> cut back on your portions. You know, you're not completely getting rid of it, but you're sort of finding alternatives to allowing you to leave and live a, a healthier lifestyle when it comes to, you know, eating your own food, your cultural identity mm-hmm. that's so attached to it. Yeah. It's really about finding that balance. Mm. So when people are choosing foods to eat, your first priority would be finding things that are healing and nutritious and locally grown. Those would be your priority when making food choices. Right. Right. Mm. And having access to the right, you know, ingredients and knowing a, where it comes from Mm -hmm. and how that can benefit you. Yeah. So then when you went in and worked with, uh, in a hospital, I could be wrong, but I know the hospitals I've been to, I spent over 80 nights in a hospital. I don't think buying locally (laughs) was a priority for this hospital. No, I've had probably over 200 hospital meals (laughs) while I was in my bed. (laughs) Um, It's really up to, you know, the organization to source the right items, right? I mean, they know what their budget is and, you know, what they can provide for their patients. And it's really up to, you know, the directors to decide on that. And in collaboration with, um, obviously, the nutrition support, clinical team, things like that. So... So when you worked in a hospital, did you feel like you were able to bring that perspective or were there more other um, priorities that you would focus on when helping? Uh, where I work now, it's, it's a different priority for me because when the clients come in and they see their you know clinical team, which includes dietitians and stuff, but I don't work one-on-one with them. I work from an administrative perspective. And so we ensure that everything that we have on our system matches what they need. And so we send other trade tickets and we do, you know, their nourishments, making sure they're getting the right snacks for whatever diet that they have. So there's so many different diets that we could be working with within a day and um, yeah. assess the information that we get and um, deliver the right meal. <laughs> right. So then when you turn that into becoming a recipe developer and bringing that nutritionist's um, perspective how does that affect the recipes that you choose to develop, share, the brands you work with, all of that? It depends on what the brand is looking for and what their product is. I, I, I want to be sure that I'm making things accessible and like fun and I don't want things to be too restrictive. Mm-hmm. I don't focus on uh, any specific diets. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it just gives me a lot more um, variety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it allows you to be versatile in the exactly. work that you choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you mainly make things that Evie, the nutritionist, would advise, <laughs> <laughs> advise you to eat. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because for me, I like the idea of not being too restrictive. Like you have to have fun with what you eat because you eat every day. So you want to be able to have things that you do like, but also knowing what your goals are mm-hmm. and what your lifestyle is and things that you can actually have access to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, every now and then it's going to be a cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not eating cake every day, right? So, right. So we've kind of approached food as, you know, Ifi, the daughter of Nigerians, we've approached food as Ifi, the nutritionist, and Ifi, the ambassador for brands. But if it's just 
Evie, the person on August 27th, 2020, <laughs> what is your personal approach to food? Um, I just eat what I like when I like to eat it. Honestly, it's, it's, I don't, I tend to not be too picky with myself. Yeah. I exercise a lot. I can indulge a little bit, but for the most part, I just like to keep things pretty simple and yeah, I just enjoy what I like when I like it. That's been working for me. So Yep. There's no box. No, no, there isn't. If, for example, if I want to, if I feel like I have to lose weight, then I will definitely be a little bit more restrictive. So it's just about what your goals are, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do at a specific time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, you go from there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you've never really struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food. No, not to my knowledge. No. Mm-hmm. I haven't, which is, I mean, I guess I'm pretty lucky in that sense. Well, I think first we'd probably have to define, right? But with all mm-hmm. that said, yeah, I think it's probably fairly unusual in the West to not struggle with an unhealthy relationship with food, at least yeah. for women in particular, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. Um, but it's not something that I, I think about food a lot, but not in the, in the way that it would be unhealthy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't obsess for it in the sense that, oh, what am I going to eat? Or should I be eating this? And no, that's definitely not how I think about food. Mm-hmm. Just because of, you know, the industry that we're in. <laughs> yeah. I think of it as more, more exploratory and, and, like what, what can I, what's new that I can make? What kind of recipe can I try something more, you know, explorative like that mm-hmm. as opposed to, so I have enough, did I have enough calories today? And things like that. Right. You know? it's, yeah, yeah. It's more like a stimulating and creative exactly. um, mode of yeah. thinking. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would, well, I think the one other thing we didn't talk about is just your kind of moving into the photography. So do you want to tell me a little bit about that journey? Oh yeah. That was just simply, I, I just, <laughs> I like to say that I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get bored and you want to do something a little bit more creative, um, in the field. So that's why I, I started blogging, um, a little while back and, um, just doing, you know, reviews of things that I've, you know, restaurant food and um, recipes that I'm making and things like that. And I just sort of fell in love with the styling aspect and the photography. And I decided to just focus on getting better at that. And that's sort of how I started. And that's, that's been, (laughs) that's been the journey for the past, I think, what, five years and just learning, self-directed learning and trial and error. And here I am. (laughs) Mm, Well, I do love, I love what you're doing. I think it's Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. So, Thank you. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Ah, uh, no, I think I've said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> For me, that's like talking a lot. <laughs> well, I, I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's good to do things like this, you know, once in a while. Get well, out of your shit a little bit. Talk about yourself. That's right. And you have a lot to share that I think is very valuable. So I'm glad I'm glad you did it for my sake and my listeners sake. Well, Efi, it's been a huge honor. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great afternoon. Okay. You too. Thank you. Uh Bye. Bye. Don't go anywhere. I have some big news. 
Thank you again to Ify. You can catch up with her and find her jollof rice recipe on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. And there is something new on my website, a link to the print shop. You can now buy fine art prints, large wall pieces, and even digital files of the photos that I take celebrating these stories and recipes. For those of you listening today, I have a special code for you for 15% off. It's simply the words early bird, no spaces in between. You'll see this discount on the banner of the print shop. And again, to get there, simply go to thestoriedrecipe.com and click on the link to print shop. I would be so, so honored to share these stories and images with you in your homes. That would be the biggest compliment I could receive. One last time, you can find the new print shop at thestoriedrecipe.com and simply click the print shop link in the menu. All right, back next week with the Thanksgiving episode. In the meantime, have a great week, my friends.